0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Episode two of Disruptive Discourse. Before we get into it, you might have noticed I have a new background. Somebody said, your background is dark. And I agreed. Remembered how much I love teal. So I hope you all love my new teal wall and my white bookshelf with the new, innovative, modern look. So Anyway, we are jumping into interviews, and as I believe I shared with you, this is my very first podcast, blogcast, whatever the heck you can call these things. And so what do you do when you're doing something new? You go find someone who you know and trust, kind of like a safety blanket. So who better to bring on for our first personal interview than my very own boo thing, Dwayne Patrick Hall, who is certainly my better half. So obviously, I'm a tad bit biased because he is my boo thing. However, all jokes aside, I think you all will really benefit from hearing from him. And I look forward to hearing what he's going to share about his journey from young man, going through being an athlete, and then working his way through the ranks and working as an executive currently in a Fortune 500 company. Now, Dwayne will likely share that he lost several best friends to death, including gun violence. And hopefully he'll share with you all a little bit how he made it through. But I think another interesting thing about Dwayne is that you don't hear black men very much sharing or men in general uh, sharing about um, bouts of suicidal thinking. And I do know that Dwayne has experienced that. So hopefully he'll open up to you guys as as since he's with his boot thing, right? All right. So let's jump in and see what he has to say. Always has. So welcome Dwayne Patrick Hall. It is a pleasure to have you with me today. I'll just start by asking you to introduce yourself. and, And you tell me, you know, when, as you know, of what we're focused on, you know, what makes you want to show up to this podcast and and just tell us about how who you are is relevant to to this work and this this focus.
1: Awesome. Well, Dr. Joy, thank you for having me on this podcast because you couldn't have said it better. When I think about where I've been, you know, it's been a roller coaster ride. And I think a lot of people in life can say that. Right. But when I think of, you know, growing up, you know, going, going to a predominantly African-American high school, um, then being disrupted by going to a predominantly white uh, public university, um, then getting into corporate America, which it was probably a good, good choice to go to a predominantly white university because it made me aware of what corporate America was going to look like. Also, that those social norms, those confirmations that you have to go through to fit in, Um, And then getting into my latter years and realizing that you only fit in by being who you are. If you're not doing that, then you're really not fitting in anything except for what other people want you to fit into. So it has been interesting. So when I think about the topics that you're focused on and passionate about, it's been my life journey. And it's been something that I've wanted to step back and take a look at so that I can be the next best version of what I used to be moving forward.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, um it's great to have you. Uh, I will fully disclose to the audience there's light bias for me because you also are my better half and um, I'm appreciative that you have learned leaned into to personal and professional development, of course for me, biasly personal development because it benefits me. <laughs> when you personally develop yourself. And so um, I'm sure we'll, we'll venture into that as we move into the conversation. I wanna ask you, what's your definition of success?
1: It's a good question. My definition of success is achieving the goals that you set for for yourself. And I say that because I think we all grew up in this society thinking that success was get good grades, go to college, get a job have kids, white picket fence, maybe a dog or a cat, um, and then save up for retirement. And then you can go move to Florida when you're about 70, 75 years old. That's shifted for me to, and the bar has shifted as well because I've always set high expectations for myself. But the definition of, definition of success for me is whatever I make it. And that has changed year over year, sometimes week over week, sometimes month over month. So it's constantly evolving.
0: So so let's jump into, you know, in our initial episode of this podcast, we introduced this true success evaluation that I designed and I use in my work with my coaching client and we use it in the Joy Society community. Um, you completed that true success evaluation. It has two parts. The first part is just simply how would you measure your success in each of the success fears? And the second part actually asks you questions. Right. To measure your success. Just let's just start with what were your thoughts as you completed um, the evaluation? What stood out for you uh, as you were processing? You know, it was interesting
1: because even though I think that I've achieved a certain level of success in a lot of the spheres, if not all of them, um, the the assessment made me realize that there still are gaps, still things that I need to work through. And depending on I also had to separate You know we talk a lot about I am professional so professionals take surveys all the time assessments professional leadership development courses so I had to get out of that because that could make my answers skewed as well Mm. so I really wanted to make sure that I answered them honestly because I'm not trying to look good on paper for the next promotion I'm not trying to look good on paper for any of the stuff that might be what motivates people to go through assessments I'm trying to do it to make myself aware of where I need to improve so that was the eye-opening thing for me is stepping back and doing it for the right reasons, not for what society has forced us to think are the right reasons when taking assessments in a professional setting.
0: Wow, that's that's a good point. That's not something that I was even thinking about when 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 we do assessments, right, as professionals, leaders, business owners, especially I know you are in an um, executive level in a, a corporate environment, a uh, corporate organization, and I'm thinking back. It's been a while because I am uh, self-employed and and work for myself. I don't usually put myself (laughs) through assessments, but I'm remembering, right, all of those times that I have when I uh, applied for a job or whatnot, or even Mm -hmm. when I was in a leadership role within an organization. And yeah, even in those, you're like, you're thinking through the lens of what does someone want to hear from me? Mm -hmm. What is going to be the right answer, even when they start off by telling you there is no right answer? Um, wow, when we when we when we take assessments, we're typically not really thinking about what does that mean for us, right? And um, I, let me ask you this: and I know you're further along in your growth, but did you have any moments where even once you checked down, instead, um, let me make sure I'm answering for the right reasons? Did you vacillate at all, where you know maybe you wanted to score higher on something? Uh, or rate yourself higher than than maybe you actually are?
1: Good question, but it's actually the opposite. I wanted to score myself lower in many things Mm -hmm. because I want to push myself harder to achieve Mm -hmm. a higher level of success. So the analogy that I gave myself as I started to realize what I was trying to get out of the assessment was going to the doctor. You know, if you go to the doctor and you tell them what you think they want to hear, it's not going to help your diagnosis, right? So Mm -hmm. I started thinking of it in that lens of I want to be as accurate as possible to myself so that whether it be financials or health or social aspect, let me make sure that I'm thinking about where do I want to be versus where I am. And then that helped me set the bar of where I wanted to score myself.
0: Gotcha. Now, we we do this two-part assessment uh, with very much an intentionality, right? So part one, again, is one question per, per sphere. And it asks, how would you rate yourself? What's your success level in family? What's your success level in uh, finance? And so on. So it's just the one question. Rate yourself, right? And then the part two, instead of just asking your measure, it's asking you, questions that will then calculate your measure, right? And so mm-hmm. we do this on purpose because to your point it helps folks to think through um and and get it get an, a real uh idea about whether or not your uh high level thought or measure about your success in an area aligns with right the the drilled down version, right? And so we've seen when we use the tool, I don't know that we've had anyone yet where part one and part two matched, right? The the what you like the order they come out in. So on yours, I noticed that uh, your your social well being was your highest rated uh, sphere, both in the part one, the 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 surface level. Uh, evaluation and in part two, where you answer the questions. Talk to me about, about how is it that social is you're at the top of your game, I would say, right. And your social success.
1: Well, I think part of it is it's in all of my aspects of life. So being in sales, most of my adult life, the social side is necessary, right? Networking, getting to know new relationships, develop that trust with people But I've also always been one going back to childhood. I remember big family gatherings uh, with my mom and dad, whether it be holidays, whether it be all night poker games. That was something that I just it was a norm for me. And then moving into athletics, you know, the social aspect of that, you're always around a team. And I've been in athletics since I was five, six years old. So always used to the locker room mentality, the gatherings, the groups, you know, working out. Fast forward to when I think of my personal life, our personal life, we we spend a lot of time with our our close circle. A lot of friends, you know, we have cookouts, you know, we have celebrations. There's always a reason to celebrate. So when I think about how could social get any better? I don't think it really could. I think it's just Mm -hmm. being more specific in the intent of your social um capital that you're spending because there's only so many hours in the day, so that's why it's always been high from childhood all the way to present day
0: yeah i i being that I'm in your life, I would agree we do social pretty well, uh which is interesting because before you, I was definitely not doing social well, so shout out to being with the right person who helps you elevate right in in your various spheres of success. bring you so out of
1: the back cave,
0: yeah, no doubt. Yeah, you did drag me out of my back, cave, which I like to go back to on occasion. Um, all right. So let's let's shift to the other side. Um, without me telling you what your lower rating areas were, I'm going to ask you just like uh, without you knowing, unless you have your scores in front of you, uh, wh- what are the, what of the eight spheres of success, what are the ones you feel like you uh, need the most improvement in or are still really aspiring in?
1: And I do not have the scores in front of me, so small disclaimer there. But I would imagine for me, finance is probably on the lower end, mm-hmm. as well as family and spiritual. So I would say okay. those are the probably the top three that are are down. And and I and when I took part two of it, I think as the questions were more de- had more depth to them, it was more of what degree. Of each one of these measures, are you at? And so that was where I probably rated myself on the lower end than in the first section, where it was a cut, like you said, a, a surface measurement of what that is.
0: Okay. And, and you are correct in both of your assessments, although uh, you were. They were slightly different. The bottom three were the three you just named. Now, here's interesting, and I appreciate you being uh, transparent here, and I think about the blue chips I work with, right? Folks who are, are and you're a blue chip yourself, right? Uh, executive uh, in, a, in a, a corporation, business owner, athletes, and former athletes, and folks tend to assume this is why we're disrupting the definition of success and professionalism, that... Um, that of course you're on this really high level career-wise, so there's no way your financial rating, right, w- would be the one you want to improve on the most, or at least one of the, one of the ones you want to improve on the most, uh, and and of course share to the level of comfort that you have. How is it you're you're a VP in a very strongly performing corporation? And uh, financial is one that you are focused on the most in improving.
1: Well, that's probably one that it will might take me a couple of days to unpack, but I will unpack it to the best <laughs> of my ability. Um, and for whatever reason, as you were talking through that, um, for people that have not seen the ESPN Thirty for Thirty on broke, um, that was one that highlighted multi million dollar contracts and in some cases hundred million dollar contracts where people are dead broke now. So the old adage. It's not how much you make, it's how much you spend, I think, comes into play for me as well as in that example. The other thing I think about is continuing to move the bar, which I mentioned earlier. So, yes, I might have enough money to be comfortable. We might have enough money to travel and do great things and have fun with each other. But is that really wealth now? And I would say no. When you think about long term goals and even some of the short term goals Um, that we collectively have, that's not where I want to be. The other part is, you know, going through a divorce. You know, I went through a divorce, as you know, Um, anyone that is, is, has gone through that knows the financial, the emotional, the traumatic experience that it can be. And so getting, building myself back up after that is a big part of why I rated myself so low to there. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also think about, as I've done a lot of the professional development and thinking about what are some of the things that I want to get stronger in. So understanding markets, understanding investments, understanding just how to build wealth outside of your normal nine to five. There's a long way to go um, because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of money out there. And I think when we have been, I, I guess you could say, conditioned to think what is wealth? What is a good job? What is a nice hourly rate? All of those things that none of those are the answers that as I'm in this phase of my life, I would even agree with. So I probably in in retrospect might even grade myself lower than where I'm at because I have very big aspirations for where we're going to go in the future.
0: Well, I'm glad I'm part of that. Uh, I heard that we're shout out to you for, (laughs) for thinking about me. Um, So, If you were to take this assessment, if you were to to take this assessment uh, two years ago or maybe even because I know your world, I know that a lot has changed for you in two years. Um, So let's go with that just because I know your journey. Um, What would be different?
1: (laughs) Well, unless you had a negative rating on many of those categories, I probably wouldn't have taken the assessment. Um, because I, I don't know if I would even have been on in many of the areas because I talking about the life being a roller coaster, I think I was at that bottom dip of that, you know, two to two and a half years ago. You know, you compound that that just going through the pandemic, going through isolation, going through divorce, going through all the things that I was going through at that time, transitioning jobs, um Those are the types of things where you think there is no light at the end of the tunnel. Um, So even in my mindset, I didn't have a lot of things that I was positive about. I didn't think that I had support. I didn't think that my friends were there, you know, even though they were. I just basically put myself in isolation and assumed that that was the reason why I was in isolation when it was really all self prescribed by myself. So, yeah, going back to two and a half years ago, I think it would have been night and day. To today, and that's why I'm now in the mode of not just looking at where I was in my 30s or my 20s because I think I'm well beyond that in all of the spheres, but now I've moved the whole bar of how I'm measuring myself as I move into my mid to late 40s and into my 50s.
0: So, yeah, let's double click on that, uh, Duane, because um, I recall. You know, and I it, it brings me great joy to see that your social success, your social well being is a top rating because I recall you literally feeling as if and expressing that you felt like you were alone and that you had no one um back then and I literally made it my business. And, and as a result, you were in a, you had revealed to me some some suicidal thoughts. I don't think you were close to, to taking action on them, but you had some fleeting thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that you had so many people in your world who loved you, but I also knew you weren't giving them an opportunity to be in your world. And I made it my mission um, to... I had to trick you really <laughs> right to, to get you reconnected into getting you opening those doors again. Um, can you share as much as you're willing, what was going on for you that led you into that really dark space and um, specifically rating as zero or less in your social success at the time?
1: Well, it's interesting because, you know, you hear it more and more now and you and I have had conversations about this in the past around, expressing that it is okay to not be okay. And we've been conditioned through our lives, especially as men, especially as black men, um, to hold it in, don't show them, don't show them that you're weak, don't show them that you're vulnerable, don't show them that you're getting ready to basically come unraveled under stress and duress. And so when you think about basically losing everything from a financial aspect and asset aspect, Losing what I thought at the time was family, losing what I thought at the time was the right career path and all of that. To me, it was embarrassing inside until I started to realize that, well, the only person embarrassed is yourself and other people aren't looking at you and saying, wow, you know, look at him. He used to be this and now he's that. There might have been people saying that, but I doubt it. Um, it was more a self manifested the sense of being embarrassed, being a disgrace, being a disappointment, all the things that I was conditioned to try and be successful at, I thought in my mind I had failed, when really it was me rebirthing myself and coming out of it bigger, faster, stronger, wiser than when I went in. So during those dark times, I was still struggling with, am I a failure? Am I an embarrassment? You know i had a goal at 35 years old to be retired be a multi-millionaire and you know get paying it forward and giving back to others well that's you know 10 years ago that happened so reflecting on all of that and then you know running into the brick wall of everything that we have we've been talking about i think that was the biggest challenge for me was getting over myself in my head of not being a disappointment this not being embarrassing this not being a disgrace this is just a reset of my life and moving forward to grow and to 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 aspire for new heights and goals.
0: And I'm glad you could be, you brought that up, Dwayne, because I, I I have forgotten because I long passed my I was supposed to be at least a millionaire by 30, so I I, I was late I, I was late to that party as, as well. <laughs> Who else has set that goal for themselves uh, and didn't quite get there? I think when you get older, you start realizing it might take a little more time than you thought. Um, and that ability to recalibrate is important. But I also know, Dwayne, you had um, multiple people who were very close to you that you considered best friends pass away and or be killed. I mean, obviously pass away either way. But but talk to us about how losing because that's what I saw for you is that you you lost some really important people to you. And, and and in doing and, and in going through that, you um, lost touch with who was here still, who who's still here and still cares about you and who still wants to spend time with you. Share with us a little bit about the loss because you've had lots of losses in the social space.
1: Yes. And, you know, it's it's probably one of those things that I could write a book about. But thinking about best friends you know these aren't just people that were close to me these were people that were at that time in my phase of life were best friends and i can go all the way back um to my best friend timmy getting hit by a car running across the street to get some ice cream you know when we were very little um you know fast forwarding to uh, middle school and losing one of my best friends um who unfortunately was shot in the head you know and being in the wrong place at the wrong time moving to high school having the same situation happen with another best friend who was part of that group also gets shot in the head. Um, And then, you know, moving further into life and, you know, thinking about as you get older, you're, you expect that, right? You expect as you get into your forties, fifties, sixties, seventies and beyond to hear about someone passing away because of health conditions. But when you, and I don't want to say I'm numb to it now, but seeing it, before I turned six, seeing it before I turned 16, seeing it again before I turned 25, seeing it again before I turned 30. Um, you know, we had a mutual friend, you know, that that lost his life, um, you know, and we both rode motorcycles. He was always over at my house when I had it. So thinking through how many of those happened, and I think to your point, it wasn't so much that I forgot who was still here. Everyone that I lost, And there are still people that are alive that saw the other part of me were there when I didn't have anything were there when I was a kid with no worries, you know, just growing up and trying to navigate this world that we call success, education, athletics. They're all gone. Those people that I gave all of that and opened all that to with the exception of a few. So fast forward to hitting rock bottom a few years ago. I was trying to process who would I go to? Who would I go to like Rico? Who would I go to like Gary or Leon or Bruce? Um, You know, who would I go to along those lines or Tony that knew so much about me that I could just be open and be free? And I think that was also where I kind of spiraled and said, yeah, I don't have anybody that I could open up to like that. And fortunately for me, you became that person um, that I could open up to. And then, you know, when I think about. You, getting, you becoming committed and thinking about how you were going to write that, the vision I keep getting in my head is seeing all of my fraternity brothers walk through the backyard, um, had no clue they were going to show up for my birthday, but people that I haven't seen in over a decade, all my sands just come around the corner. You know, So thinking of things like that um, is kind of a silver, silver lining to the other side of that, which was those dark moments.
0: Thank you uh, for sharing, Duane, and thank you for being transparent. I know for, again, professionals, leaders, and business owners, especially men, especially Black men, um, being transparent like this is just something we don't see enough, and this is why we're here, disruptive discourse, right? This is disruption of the traditional, I would say, lie (laughs) of success, um, and disruption of this idea of professionalism. And with that, Duane, we've been talking a lot about the personal side. Let's shift uh, back to the, the professional career side. Um, you went to high school. You were um, a, an extremely talented athlete. You went to the NFL. Um, obviously, things didn't work out. Share with me your journey of those highs and lows of being a successful Uh, professional um, from, from, from that journey to where you are now.
1: Well, it's interesting because I never looked at it as competition. I looked at it as an opportunity to be with my friends more often. So I can even, I can go back as far as backyard football games in our neighborhood. And ironically, pretty much everyone that played in those games ended up becoming pretty good once we got to high school we all were on the same team from little league through high school. And one of the things that I am very thankful for when I think of the athletic is it directly correlates to my professional career in that there's adversity, just like in football, because that was a sport, even though I was uh, pretty decent in basketball, baseball, um, and other sports. But football is the one that I just did, developed a, a pure focus for. And I still had the naysayers. I still had... Coaches saying that you can't, you're too short, you're too slow. Um, maybe you're at the wrong position. I had that I had that come from my high school coach. I was first team All-State um, my, my going into my senior year. And every college coach that came in and asked about me, he said, yeah, he's probably too short for your program or too slow, or maybe he's not at the right position. But, you know, so I ended up getting a lot of my recruitment from a coach that played against me. And he was a big advocate for me and which, you know, kind of leads you to believe, all right, well, who are your friends? And so that learned that helped me learn a lot about, you know, keep your keep your enemies close and your friends or your friends close and your enemies closer. And that made me think about that. But even transitioning into college, um, college taught me a lot around thinking about your it's on you now, because once you go from high school to college, you can sleep in you cannot get the best grades, you cannot apply yourself, same goes for the athletic side. And it's all on you at that point. So self accountability um, was one of the things that I picked up and also, and I touched on it at the beginning of our conversation, growing up predominantly around people of color, especially African-American population in high school, middle school, elementary school, um, and then going to Miami University, which I believe at the time we might've had four to five percent African-American out of the total student population, and we pretty much knew who we all were. We were a very close-knit group. For the most part, you either played a sport, you were involved in some type of a scholarship around the arts, um, or and, and definitely as we got into our, our, our later years, you were part of a Black Greek or a Black Greek organization. Um, so we were a pretty close-knit group. But it was... I was thankful for it because I remember the first day of class looking around and seeing no one that looked like me as I had my, my book bag and I'm trying to figure out which hall is my first class. And and I'll never forget once I got to corporate and I took my first job, I looked around because I was in a leadership program and I looked and there was no one that looked like me in there either. And that probably would have been more uncomfortable if that would have been such a harsh transition, um, you know, especially if I would have just stayed the route of, black elementary, junior high, high, HBCU, then go to corporate, I would have been looking around like, okay, this is really awkward. Um, not that I would knock anybody going through that, but um, I, I was thankful for that experience at Miami for that. And that that also taught me you gotta work three times as hard just to get just as far as the other person um, that's in the majority. And I've kept that mentality throughout my career, professionally and athletically until the mm-hmm. end, the bitter end of that.
0: So, Dwayne, you uh, you were were did you dream of being an NFL player? Was that your
1: no? Was
0: that a dream for you? No. No, I like I but said, you... I, I
1: played I played because it was fun and it was an opportunity to be with the people that had common interest. Had you know, from Eastland Vikings all the way through, um, many of the people that you know now, um, we were always out there together, either competing against with um, you know each other and. So I didn't realize how good I was until I got into high school, to be honest. I was bigger than everyone else from elementary to middle school, which made it easier. I remember being on the 115-pound Eastland Vikings team. We never got scored on the entire year. But we had, if, if I were to name all the players, you probably would even know some of them today. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I got to high school and realized as a true freshman, they put me in for two plays and I got two quarterback sacks. It was like, okay, I think I can do this. And this was when I was one hundred and thirty five pounds and dripping wet and I was playing defensive line of all positions. So out of position, nowhere near the size that any of the people on the field were. But that was when it all clicked to me. And that's when I got serious about it.
0: So but you but you got to the top and then quickly that didn't work out. What was the emotional experience for you to um get to what many would say whether you were aspiring to initially or not you got there but then i believe you got injured um you know how did you process the experience of getting there and then it basically disappearing almost as soon as you got there
1: well for me it was different because i wasn't um make it to a team or bust it was continue to enjoy what you were able to do until you're not able to do it anymore. I've always had that mentality. Um, And in some case, some, some ways it was a sigh of relief Um, because whether it be friends, family members, everyone basically kind of hitching their wagons to my potential success. And then for that to go away and for me to go back to the drawing board, eliminated a lot of the people that I knew weren't there in my corner for the right reason. So I experienced a lot of relief where some people may have said, Mm. you know, I'm going to rehab and I'm going to try and get back. And For me, it was, I want to rehab so that I'm not limping at 40 years old or walking with a cane, but not to try and continue to push, push this.
0: Okay. That's an interesting um, and unusual uh, set of maturity, mature perspectives for that age. So um, I want to move over again, deeper into this professional component. And you've talked about being a black person, a black man in a corporate world you know, we've continued this conversation about I am professional or what is professional. Tell me about some of the challenges you've had, um, and how you maneuver this idea of both success and professionalism, uh, within the world you're working in today.
1: Well, I think I'll never forget one of my first sales calls after I had to go through probably more hoops than most to get the position in the first place. Um, had a really good phone screening with the organization and I won't name no names on here, but, um, and then I, we scheduled some time for me to go out and meet them in person and the look on their face, because this was a rural company, the look on their faces when they saw that I was a black man, um, because I think they assumed just by how I articulate my words and how I was professional on the phone that I would not look like I looked, um, was interesting because they didn't even try and hide it on their faces. They also cut the meeting 15 minutes short. And we also did not get the sell, even though we were probably positioned and had the best features and benefits, had the best proposal. Um, we got feedback from other people in the room that we were the by far the favorite by the committee, but they went with another direction. So I got a, early on. I got a kind of a sniff of what the good old boy network really is um, mm-hmm. and, and understanding that that network, even beyond because we talk about the baby boomers kind of being the shifting of the guard of that. It still exists and it will probably shift into the millennials, uh, maybe even beyond that. But knowing that, knowing that um, I have to have my A game all the time, knowing that I think in the early 2000s, it was interesting. This whole business casual craze came along um, where it really wasn't business casual because a lot of, you know, white colleagues would show up with khakis on and a T-shirt and that was business casual for them. And I knew I couldn't get away with that. So continuing to just keep my brand consistent, dress better, show up early, be more prepared. Those were the things that I had always had to make sure that I was staying on top of and checking in on myself with. And then also understanding that even if it's not overt and how you're being discriminated against, it's covert. And it may even be, you know, the, the implicit biases that you that you experience, I can't tell you how many holiday parties and leadership functions I've been at where there's the, the, the black jokes start flying, you know, and I just kind of, you know, chuckle and say, yeah, that's pretty funny, you know? And now I think now that we're more aware of it, that probably doesn't happen as much, but it really happened in the early two thousands for me where, you know, I would always be part of the, the senior leader in the room, Grabbing me by grabbing me under his arm and saying, hey, I I do have a black friend and, you know, and everyone would laugh about it and pull me over there. So just kind of reflecting back on some of those topics and stories and then the reaction um, from potential clients, networking events where I would look around and see that I was the only black person. And after about 20 or 30 minutes of no one talking to me, someone would come up and approach me. Um, that probably either felt sorry for me or may have been a person of color themselves, whether a female that was Latina or Asian, but it was always interesting how we would always kind of find each other at those types of events, just because no one else wanted to talk to us. Mm.
0: So, and, and as we wrap up, I just want to kind of package this up. Uh, When people say be professional, you know i think what what they think they mean what we what we allegedly are saying is uh be be um proper right in in how you show up uh be presentable um what what are your thoughts on what the difference is between what professionalism allegedly is about and maybe what you've experienced it really is about.
1: For me, the, the definition, the broader definition that is still permeating our society. When I think be, be professional, I think be Eurocentric. And I think where it's shifting to is be the best at who you are in terms of your role. So if you are a software programmer or a sales professional, you might have a different way that you talk, you might have different music that is on in your car when people get in to do a ride along with you, you might be listening to a different station, you might have different art in your house than what the senior executives have in their houses, you may go to different night venues than they go, but when it's game time and you show up to perform, you are on par or better than everyone else that may still have that Eurocentric mindset. So that that's how I look at it. Um, And that's what I encourage people that I either mentor or network with or I'm being mentored by to think about is what does professional look like? Well, it looks like a lot of different things now, because if we're really going to be serious about DE and I, then D and I also needs to loop in professional, which means that professional now looks different and has multiple colors, almost like a kaleidoscope versus it just being one broad definition
0: and multiple dress codes. Because for those who don't know you, y'all got to whenever, if you ever get a chance to meet Dwayne Patrick Hall, Dwayne shows up highly unprofessional um, at times. And I live with you. So I know that you even temper down because I spend time with you outside of work and you go way harder in your creative colors and whatnot. But I know that you do not own any black blue or brown uh, dress socks. All of your socks have at least 10 colors in them. Uh, you've been known to wear some really wild colored red bottom shoes to work. Um, I do know that you do make a choice though, In um, and I know you love your wild colored blazers, and you don't wear those to work. Um, tell me why you don't wear what I know is your favorite blazers, you're still very smart, You're still one of the greatest leaders and sales leaders of all time. But tell me why you make that choice every morning not to put on your colorful flower uh, velvet uh, lasers um, and you keep it down maybe just to the socks. Tell me about that negotiation you have every morning as you're being professional, but maybe trying to tip the scale and support this movement we're having to redefining professional?
1: Well, it's interesting you say that because when I think about my choices at work, it's typically about what am I going to be doing? So if, you know, I I still am a hybrid, just like a lot of us are, and whether we go to the office or we work from home. So when I go to work, it's typically for a couple of destination meetings or the experience in those meetings is much better in person than in Zoom. We still haven't gotten to a point to where society has opened up uh, hopefully this summer that happens more to where we're going to events and you know you know some of our clients are, are open to meeting, but that will come out in those situations because if you recall our leadership meeting last year in Orlando, every day I wore one of those bright jackets that you're referring to. So that was because everyone was there. So to me, no filter. If I'm coming into the office and I might see one or two people, yeah. If I'm at an event, a networking event, leadership symposium, meeting, uh, industry conference, that's when I wear what you just mentioned. So, to me, it's about I wait to really be that loud, bright. These are the things that I love to show showcase about my wardrobe when I'm in an audience of a lot of people, so that not to stand out, not to get attention, but to let people know that it is okay if you're if you're confident in your skin. We're pink, you know. Wear bright colors. I and, and I do that, and it's funny you bring that up as well because we have a leadership meeting coming up in two weeks, and you will see a lot of those brighter jackets come out of the repertoire as 150 plus leaders from around the country come together.
0: All right, and 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 as we wrap up, I have one last question on this, Dwayne. I know because I am the culprit of almost putting myself out of my own closet because I get so excited to buy you these wild looking jackets because I love the look on your face. You are so like a little child when you get a new jacket and it's colorful and it's wild. And so I know how much joy it brings you to, to what I would say is be yourself. And so as we wrap up, I just want to know from you what. What does it mean to you to be able to show up in a corporate workplace and be yourself?
1: Now it means a lot because I know that there are eyes on me, not just people above looking to see, am I worthy of a promotion or taking on new responsibility? But it's also the people, younger people that are looking at me and saying, oh, wow. You know, every time I walk out of my current Uh, corporate office now, and I see some of the younger black uh, men and women walking in to either work in the call center marketing, you name it, finance, they always look either down at my shoes or they wonder what kind of colored uh, chinos I'm going to have on Um, because I'll mix it up. So if I'm going to the office and my my jacket is monotone like the one I'm wearing today, I might have on some bright pastel um, teal chinos to go with it. So I'm trying to mix it up in that way too. And so I think about they know what professional is for them because nobody's going to tell them, especially now that we're in this job market that we're in now where the employee has the power, not the employer. So just for them to kind of smile or give me a little fist bump walking out because maybe they didn't know that they could dress like that to work. But now they see me dressing like that. And then two weeks later, I see them again and they're dressed like me. (laughs) <laughs> um, that, that make that, that gives me a little bit of a, a smile inside because it's like, all right, people now understand, you know, and I think the line that traditionalists are afraid that professionalism is going to cross, I think is unprofessional or disrespectful. And I don't think the line will ever get there. And those cases where it does get there, you got to address it. Me, me being a leader or anybody else. But I think If you're allowing people to show up, maybe their hair color is a different color or they have piercings or tats. You and I have had this conversation a lot when you've wanted to go to conferences and you always put on a blazer when you it's 80 degrees outside and you've got on a really nice professional dress. But you don't want to show your tattoos on your shoulder. I think those days are now ending and people are now saying, well, are they talented? That should be the question. And then the talent will will open up the door for mannerisms, respect, um, all the things that still are going to be important as we move into the next millennium, but it's going to look different. And so that's, that's really where I see it. And that's why I'm excited that when I do come to work and people see how I dress, you know, it's not a, I can't believe you wore that today. It's all that. Those are so cool. I love those shoes or, you know, whatever the comment is. Well,
0: thanks for sharing that Dwayne. I think if that isn't disruption, I don't know what is. Uh, so shout out to LinkedIn for starting this conversation as much as I love uh, their their conversation, the commercials. I also know that workplaces are quite frankly behind, right, as it relates to living out um, the, the concepts in LinkedIn's campaign. But we're here for it. And we're going to continue to have this disruptive discourse in supporting uh, us moving along as we wrap up. Uh, I, I think what you've done today is show what true success looks like, right? Which means there are joys and pains behind it all. So mm-hmm. any uh, exiting thoughts on maybe one one suggestion you could give to others who maybe are either aspiring to the quote unquote pers- uh platform of success or those who have allegedly achieved it um, but really have only achieved it in in this one area of life and 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 maybe are not owning the joy and pain vacillation that that really is true success one one final thought or lesson that that you would suggest people think about
1: I would say that success is failure And when you think about all the success that you read about on TV, you're looking at the appendix. You're not reading the book, whether you talk about Warren Buffett or Steve Jobs or any of the Elon Musk, any of the names that get talked about a lot. You read about the initial journey they had, and it's probably the first 12 chapters. You you would stop reading the book like, why am I reading this book? Because this person's an idiot or they just can't get it right or whatever conclusion you draw to it. That's everyone that I think has experienced success unless you just inherited it, which Mm -hmm. then you would argue that's not really success. Right. So I think of it as as I've had so much failure in my life. I've also had so many successes and joys. I've had so much growth and I know as I continue to grow and continue to learn from previous um, experiences, I wouldn't even call them mistakes because they happen for a reason. Um, I know that the success bar will continue to move forward and up for me and it will if you have that mindset as anyone listening, it's going to work that way out for you as well. If you always think about what did I learn from this and you keep moving forward, you keep build, uh, investing in yourself and and then you step back after a while and you're like, huh. Light bulbs coming on now. Maybe this is something I need to focus on. Maybe it's multiple streams of income versus trying to get to that top level executive job. Um, maybe it's something that you are uncomfortable doing now, but if you get out of your comfort zone and you do it, then the doors will open. I think about social media and you, the fact that we're sitting here doing a podcast and a couple of years ago, you didn't want to be on social media at all. So mm-hmm. when people push themselves out of their comfort zone, And then also give themselves a realistic assessment of who they really are based on where they really want to go. Then that's how you develop a roadmap, because when you or me look back and anyone else that set that goal of being a millionaire by 30 or a millionaire by 35, it's the same concept as if you say, I want to lose 15 pounds or you want to put on 10 pounds of muscle. You've got to be in a regimen. You've got to have a plan. You've got to be consistent and you've got to be committed. And. To say I wanted to be a millionaire by 35, I can't answer yes to any of those things of how I was going to get there. I just wanted to be that, but I didn't have a regimen. I didn't have a plan. I I didn't have any of that. I just, that was just an aspiration. So to really set a true goal and get out of aspiration mode, you have to really be detailed in your thought and also stay committed to that.
0: Well, thank you, Duane. And I appreciate that while you have achieved quite a bit of success and are living a quote-unquote successful life now what you know is that even as you quote-unquote get there you never arrive and there's joys and pains even as you get to whatever today's goal is so thank you for being part of this disruptive discourse today
1: thanks for having me it was a pleasure
0: what y'all think man this is all I could have hoped for, for our first interview. (sighs) Thinking back to just some of the things that came out in this conversation, I think Dwayne really just illuminated why we have this podcast, Disruptive Discourse, right? And the part about disrupting professionalism, and Dwayne talked about the element that professionalism has essentially meant being Eurocentric, right? And I think that For a lot of us, we, again, so much unintentional happens when you talk about that kind of stuff. But it's realizing that perhaps when we're expecting someone to show up a certain way, that historically that really has meant a certain way based on someone's skin tone, right? Or what was back then like the norm of who was in a professional setting. So I think Duane just really gave us a great example, again, of what it means to disrupt professionalism and gave us some context to really think about um, when we say and we ask of ourselves, am I professional? Or you're looking at someone else to say, are you professional? Maybe just kind of think about what is behind your belief systems and your truths about what it even means to be professional. I also like that he talked about ultimately that being who you are is success, right? So, Again, another magical moment, Jim. Um, that that he shared, and and the last thing that really stood out to me with Dwayne, and I mentioned it, I think, as he was speaking to it in the interview, is when he talked about taking the True Success Assessment. He talked about how so many of us in professional spaces take assessments, and even when you think back to when you were a kid, right, and you were taking tests. You're trying to like get the A, perform well, think about what did they want your answer to be. And then you try to facilitate that answer so you could get the good grade. And in these days, when we have all these assessments, uh, especially if you're in executive levels, right? What is the answer they're looking for that's gonna make me look good? Either get this job, get this promotion, be seen as worthy, be seen as professional or whatever. And so Dwayne's reflection of just like challenging himself and catching, Right. That when he assesses himself for personal development and really even professional, are you answering those questions for yourself with the truth rather than what truth you think someone is looking for? And again, I think because we do so much performance in our lives, I just wonder how many of us are able to honestly answer these questions when we ask ourselves whether you take the true success assessment, which I hope you do, or any other assessment you may use. I encourage you to think about being honest with yourself, right? And making sure, am I answering these questions as what's true? Or am I caught up in that habit space that we tend to get into for performance? So something to think about for yourself. If you haven't been in a space of self-reflection, be it personal or professional development, I think uh, this gives you an opportunity to really consider that. So again, the true success assessment is available to you. You can visit joysociety.com to access that. You can also join and be a member if, you know, as you listen to this interview and you thought about some of those challenges, especially for those of us who are minorities and you want a community that you can connect in, come find us in Joy Society. Otherwise, hopefully I will see you on social media somewhere. Definitely connect with me there. We'll see you on the next episode.